welcome to Prescription Advocacy. I'm Ariel Troster. And I'm Dr. Neely Kaplan-Merce. And this is our first episode of 2021. And while we usually have a guest here on with us, uh, we thought today was a good opportunity for Neely and I to catch up with each other and with all of you about where things are at in terms of this terrible pandemic now that we're in month 10. Is it month 10 or month 11? I've lost track. And uh, here in Ontario... Uh, we just uh, started another month-long stay-at-home order. Uh, vaccines are starting to roll out, but fairly slowly. And Neely, I know you've been doing a lot of uh, media interviews in the last few days. I have. I've been doing speaking as well as writing. And uh, yeah, you know, we we've said how important it is to do this advocacy. But every time I every time I speak to a patient or um, speak to a friend, you know, they say, Oh yeah, I heard you. I didn't know that. And colleagues say the same thing. And, um, and that actually to me is one of the most distressing things that unless, unless you're participating in backroom conversations, even as healthcare workers, people don't know what's going on. Okay. So this is your chance to tell us what's going on. Um, I'll admit uh, I've learned so much from your own tweets and your own advocacy about the issues for family doctors uh, during this pandemic. So I guess the number one question I have for you is, have you been called up to get a vaccine yet? Called up to get a vaccine? <laughs> no. Like, 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 do you have an appointment? Do you know when you might get one? You are a front care, frontline healthcare provider. No, 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 no. So basically, the family doctors, we're not, we're not on the radar. We're not even, um, like maybe we'll get the vaccine in March or April, but when you look at the tables and graphs that the government produces about the strategy, we fall into this broad category of, okay, now we're gonna do all the rest of the healthcare workers. And last night I wrote something to say, you know, it's like I gave my daughter uh, Lord of the Flies to read because it is setting us up to fight about what defines a healthcare worker and who is going to get this vaccine is really not clear because there is no plan. And so like as, as a family doctor, I made enough noise that I convinced public health to let me join a very small group of doctors in our city in Ottawa who meet with them to talk about, well, what is actually going on? And it's fascinating because one of the things that I've learned is they are a political entity and they can't speak about what is really happening because if they speak, um, they're literally biting the hand that feeds them, right? They rely on provincial government and they're afraid that provincial government may do a bunch of reorganizing and get rid of public health units. So what they say to us privately and what they say it's fine for me to repeat but they just can't is that there is no plan there is it, it's not even just that there isn't a plan but like public health units across Ontario so there are 35 of them and this would probably be true for public health units in other provinces as well but I, I'm not privy to that information but public health units were locked out of any kind of planning so when the province gave hospitals the vaccine and said you figure it out you do it it meant that general hillier and whoever they appointed in the hospital became the only people who could decide who's going to get that vaccine 
And so in some places, and, and, and we're supposed to prioritize long-term care, but in some places, uh, long-term care received the vaccine because there was some team put together from the hospital that went out into long-term care facilities, or they brought long-term care staff into hospitals. Uh, but where across Canada, uh, family doctors and nurses and other physicians and pharmacists and I mean, midwives, like everybody who knows how to give a needle has said, we will participate in, in doing this so that we can make sure that all of our seniors are vaccinated and we can then go on and, and do the next, um, you know, priority high risk groups, Indigenous Canadians and, uh, you know, our seniors who work in or live in rather um, retirement homes and people with disabilities who live in congregated living settings, like all of those, all of those populations. Uh, but basically none of that can happen because the hospitals will only do what the hospitals want to do and they won't let any of those other people participate in their immunization campaigns. And like a while ago, I tried to educate the public and say, look, one of the things is that as a family doctor, I don't have privileges. I can't just show up at the hospital and say, I'm here to work. And so when I wrote directly to the hospital, they wrote back to me and said, yeah, thanks, Neely, but you don't have privileges here, so no thanks. And public health, one of the things that they just told us is like they have tried to contact the hospital to say, well, we have this list of doctors in Ottawa who are willing to work. Can you please help us to find a way to expedite giving them privileges if the only way that they can do it is with hospital privileges? And the Ottawa hospital does not answer their phone calls. So like how broken does it have to be that the public health unit can't even get through to the hospital, that there are all these doctors and all these nurses and all these other allied healthcare professionals who are saying like, we're here, we're ready to work and we're turned away. And then there's this kind of uh, mixture of guilt for the physicians who have gotten the vaccine and then uh, anger uh, when we see that people like at the Royal Ottawa Hospital in, here in Ottawa, which is a psychiatric hospital, which hasn't had any outpatient care since March. They, when they have patients who are transferred to them, those patients have to quarantine for two weeks in the hospital. Like they, they, they have a, a population that if you look at it very superficially, you'd say, well, these are people with mental health issues. So of course we need to protect them. And yes, we do. But all of the staff who work at the Royal Ottawa, even people who work just in the research center, all of the staff were offered that vaccine. While paramedics haven't had the vaccine, family doctors and pediatricians who are seeing patients face-to-face -face don't have the vaccine. And I guess, you know, the ultimate question is, how are we going to decide who is going to get that vaccine? And, you know, should dentists get it? Of course they should. But should a dentist get it before the person who does CPR on your baby or before the person who does uh, CPR on your grandmother, right? Like, um, or the person who's intubating your grandmother or whatever, like, how are we going to decide? And so there's this, we're set up for a huge fight about what defines a healthcare worker. And at the moment, there is no plan for how this is going to be delivered in the community. So the short answer about family doctors is we have no way of knowing when we're going to get it. But when it comes time for the quote unquote healthcare workers to get it. There's also no definition of who's a healthcare worker. And so um, nobody is going to, you know, write to us or phone us or signal to us that it's our turn because there's nobody keeping a list of who the family doctors even are.
in mm-hmm. any city. So oh. anyway, it, it, it's, it's horrible. And it means that more people are going to die. And every time someone like my colleague, Jennifer Kwan, um, Dr. Kwan keeps, you know, saying, okay, well, this is how many we need to be doing a day to reach our targets in terms of having herd immunity in our communities. Um, the last time I looked, she had predicted that it, we wouldn't be done until December 26, 2026. And I don't think people want to hear that there's going to be no Christmas, you know, until 2026. But now this yeah. is all, I mean, I guess the only positive thing is they are fixing the supply chain issues. I just saw that they will be getting a million doses a week or something like that um, of the Moderna vaccine alone, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe that's Moderna and Pfizer together. But of course, you know, something we've talked a lot about on this podcast is how uh, the the differences provincially and the inaction of here in Ontario of the provincial government is really stalling. Uh, a lot of measures. So the federal government provided financial relief, for example, when it comes to education. Well, we know that the Ontario government is sitting on $12 billion in restart money that could have helped schools be safer, for example. Um, And then now there's this ridiculous argument going on, you know, between the provincial and the federal government, where every time the premier gets on television, he complains that the vaccines aren't happening fast enough and then do- and, and claims that there's no vaccine sitting in freezers. And then doctors on Twitter go bananas and say, actually, there are hundreds of thousands of doses sitting in freezers and the issue is not supply. The issue is distribution. So, you know, and again, like so many issues during this pandemic, we're, it's really exacerbating what was already a dysfunctional system, right? So... It's it's very discouraging, and I, probably way more so to you as a as a doctor. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, I just keep saying there's a, so much gaslighting, but it really is um, crazy making because when you hear one thing and you know one thing on the ground, and then you see these public announcements, like even the emergency announcement that we got in Ontario today saying, you know, this is a stay at home order. Like you see that kind of stuff. And then, but you know, well, there aren't any new supports. There's nothing to help people. There's no sick leave. There's, um, you know, and they're planning to, you know, reopen schools after, you know, keeping kids at home for, for a couple of weeks, they're going to send them right back. And our kids are going to be back in crowded classrooms and like nothing is actually changing. And, Today, there was some post from Christine Elliott telling us to, you know, sign up to help with the community vaccine delivery. And, and it's just baloney. Like it just there, there is nothing behind that. So I also think that, um, you know, when we talk about accountability and and start pointing fingers at, you know, is this this minister? Is it that? Um, we lose sight of the fact that what we have is a broken system really across Canada. And that's why I set up a meeting with the prime minister. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, what we need to do is we need to speak about this as community activists and as healthcare workers across Canada and say, this is not a partisan issue. This, I mean, obviously it's political, but, um, but we're not going to get anywhere if we just if we just fight with the politicians, we need to talk about this as Canadians and as um, we all have a right as Canadians to healthcare, we need to bring it outside of our provinces. And so, yeah, I put together like this kind of amazing panel of people from all across Canada, doctors and nurses, and I've got a few community 
sort of patient advocates on the on the list. And I've got um, a midwife and a pharmacist and and I've got the prime minister's ear, which is like totally awesome, you know, but it's kind of like, okay, well, that's what we need to do. We need to we need to speak to Justin Trudeau about what keeps us up at night and about the ways in which we would solve this if only we were given the opportunity. Yeah, I I can only imagine how frustrating it is. And, you know, let's talk for a second about the situation with the stay-at-home order in Ontario. You know, I'm already seeing uh, tweets from uh, Black and Indigenous people who are very concerned about the fact that, you know, today I referred to to the stay-at-home orders as basically uh, carding on steroids. And, you know, I'm it bothers me to have to even speak out against any sort of lockdown measure because, as you know, I've always been 100% in favor of doing what we need to do to protect public health during this emergency. But just as you said, uh, this latest stay-at-home order doesn't offer any more social supports. It doesn't provide paid sick leave. Um, it's put it just today they announced a temporary halt on evictions, but nothing longer term. People are desperate. They still need to go to work. There's still tons of businesses that are open till 8 o'clock p.m. for curbside pickup, lots of non-essential businesses. And police have total discretion to decide what is essential or not. And the government put out a Q&A that's like, I, I said it's like a terrible choose-your-own-adventure. Like it basically said, we can't decide for you what's essential, <laughs> implying that the discretion is with individuals, which is ridiculous because people don't know what to do. And then police literally have the power to enforce this however they see fit. It's, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. This strikes me as unconstitutional, but it's just a terrible situation. So to see, you know, a black mother posting that she doesn't want to let her teenagers go outside at all because she's very concerned that they'll be arrested. Right. Right. That's a legit fear. Yeah. So today um, I had to write letters for two patients with disabilities to um, to sit, for them to carry on themselves, basically. Actually, one, it was to give to a friend because um, she needs the friend to be able to go over to her place to walk her dog because she can't walk, but the friend could be stopped, right? So um, there's, uh, there's the whole issue of um, lack of trust in the police, which is, you know, something that obviously you know, we've talked a lot about in, in the last 12 months anyway, as um, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, was, you know, really bringing to the fore. But the um, many people who are disenfranchised are also, they, they have no voice in any of the way that uh, the pandemic planning has rolled out. So uh, my colleague, Dr. Nahid Dosani in Toronto, who works basically inner city health and does and palliative health stuff you know he's talked about the fact that um his patients are people who they face all kinds of discrimination and um yeah i mean you know if you're street involved and then and then the police are going around giving tickets um you know who's going to advocate for um anybody who uh, needs to be out working at night. And you know what, actually, it also dawned on me, um, and I think that you mentioned this many, many months ago, but um, what about our um, sex worker colleagues, right? And um, I mean, I have had several patients who are sex workers, and it just drives everything into into um, scary territory when, you know, there's a stay-at-home order that could result in people being ticketed 
and um, and those are already people who are very very vulnerable. Well, and there was just a story that came out somewhere in small town Ontario. A woman was given a thousand dollar ticket after she dropped her two kids at her mom's so that she could go grocery shopping. Um, and she said that her children are very young, so she doesn't feel it's safe to take them to the grocery store because they touch everything and they put things in their mouth. And this is the arrangement she always had. I assume that they were bubbled in some way with the grandparents. They made their own risk assessment. Again, not ideal, but everybody has to make choices. And uh, somebody ratted them out, and now she has to fight a $1,000 ticket. And, you know, the irony of all of this is that the people who are most likely to be ticketed are the people who are the most vulnerable to catching COVID because they work in insecure work environments and don't have sick leave, right? So it's just so frustrating to see these structural forces at play. And, you know, literally, you know, all Premier Ford had to say was just stay home, guys. Like, just stay home. If only it were that simple, right? Like, (laughs) it is for me relatively simple, but not for a lot of people. And I think that's really what we're driving at. So, but a good piece of news, it does appear that teachers are uh, going to be included in the second wave of vaccination. So hopefully they will be vaccinated this spring. Um, but then um, their colleagues in childcare have not been placed on the list for priority right. vaccines. And childcare workers are dealing with unmasked babies and young children, right? So, yeah. you know, I... I was just reading that in Florida, this is absurd too, this is going to kill you, that, you know, snowbirds who have gone to Florida against government orders, the state of Florida is offering free vaccines for anyone 65 plus, and it's first come, first serve, and they're doing it by like an online lottery, basically. They're using um, like one of the, the ticketing services. And so there are Canadian snowbirds who broke the public health laws who are in the U.S., who are going to get vaccinated before seniors who are in Canada, where we supposedly have a public health care system. It's completely maddening. I know. I I jokingly said to um, my husband this morning that maybe we should have planned to uh, winter in Florida, you know, because I could have come home with a vaccine. Of course, he pointed out I'm not old enough. (laughs) (laughs) And I would not travel. Just for the record. However, um, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it is crazy. And I think that the ability to even you know when you say that while well, the teachers have been told that they'll be in 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 phase two like the ability to do that what i said earlier today on on twitter is that the ability to do that really depends on first immunize all the doctors who need to then immunize the teachers right like there's um there's got to be a workforce and uh and right now the schools are all empty and I wish we could just set up a little vaccine station in a school and, you know, I would stand there and I would immunize all the teachers, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're just, uh, there are so many ways that this could be planned. And I think, uh, you know, for teachers to be told, don't worry, we're going to immunize you, uh, is, I, I find it hard. I, I find it hard to imagine that that's going to happen before September, honestly. So yeah. if it does, you know, it'll be pretty amazing. So, uh, but we don't want to be all pessimism. So I do think that they were at least listed in the second phase is a victory because yeah. uh, um, that's teachers and teachers unions fought for that today. The announcement that the government at the very least will be extending a temporary uh, ban on winter evictions is also a good thing. 
Um, you know, but it does feel like pushing a boulder up the hill. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of us are going to be in a really tough position if and when schools do come back here wondering if it's safe to send our children. And it, it's just it's not a decision I would wish on anyone. And I know so many of us are making it. And, you know, it really feels like we're being left to our own devices. Yeah. So uh, in I, this is our second season now and so as we as we move forward in this um, season of prescription advocacy we are going to probably circle back perhaps not to the same people we spoke with before but uh, we're, we're going to we're going to get a teacher in right we've got to speak to a teacher about what it's like um, on the ground teaching whether that's in class or virtually um, we need to speak to some more community advocates and um, we have some lined up and uh, and speak to some other people whose voice whose voices we wouldn't otherwise hear. Absolutely. And uh, if our listeners have any suggestions, I know we want to hear from people who work with people with addictions, frontline workers, um, sex workers, uh, racialized people, frontline workers, um, migrant workers. So if you know of any great women or non-binary people, who might be able to speak on any of those topics, please um, send us a tweet over at our ex advocacy. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, I got to say, it's been a dark few months, but the spark of advocacy has really propelled me. So I hope this can, we can just keep this going. And Neely, I hope that your words to the prime minister are heard and taken seriously. That's for sure. I hope so too. And actually I spoke yesterday, I don't know if it'll end up being aired, but I spoke yesterday with, with CBC about resilience and, um, and when they asked, you know, what, what are the ingredients for resilience for me? I really felt like the thing that's keeping me sane is the advocacy like that is, you know, and connecting like, wow, we have met so many amazing people, even just through this podcast, but we've, but, you know, on Twitter, social media, connecting with all these other people across Canada and internationally who are doing incredible work. So um, that is, you know, that is where I feel optimistic. And that is where I feel like, okay, you know what, like, let's just keep speaking and let's keep reaching out because it does make a difference. And, uh, and we've changed, we've shifted some, we've shifted some things. Our, our activism meant that they resumed doing the COVID vaccines when they had paused over the holidays, over the Christmas holidays in Ontario. And, um, you know, there, there are other, there are other ways in which um, we can make a difference. So yeah, it's, it's very um, important to keep speaking to each other. So, and our message to listeners, please keep talking, please keep tweeting, please keep making calls. Uh, the, the boulder that we're pushing up the hill, it's, uh, it's less heavy when we do it together. So Thank you very much and happy new year. Happy new year. You've been listening to Prescription Advocacy, co-hosted by Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth and Ariel Troster, produced by Alana Stewart. You can visit us on Twitter at rxadvocacy or on our website at rxadvocacy.com. .ca, where you'll find links to the people that we spoke with and the information that they provided and also a full list of credits. Thank you for listening.